network television is going through a, a lot of changes these days, and, and not just because of the proliferation of shows, but the proliferation of network channels. Case in point, HGTV. I don't doubt that no few of you are, um, I don't want to say addicts of HGTV, I won't say that, but so we'll say con uh, constant viewers of that. Uh, it is actually the fourth most popular channel of all the networks on, on cable, in the cable world in the United States. Uh, HGTV is the most popular of them all. If you're familiar with those shows, you know that they are basically all, all on the same thing, I guess in essence, although, although certainly there are a lot of differences, a lot of distinctions between them. You know, some are about buying a house, and some are more about selling, and some are more about refurbishing and restoring and all of that, or some of them are maybe a combination of all, all of those things uh, with different hosts, different places, uh, different emphases, but with different audiences uh, in mind. But for all those differences, all those shows on that, work, that network have, in essence, this one thing in mind, and that is the idea of taking a place and making it a home. Of taking a place and making it a home. Now, I think it's a reasonable question to ask, why the high ratings for a network that's driven by that? And the reason is that that theme is tapping into something deep within the human heart. We long for home. We long for home, and it's hitting a nerve there in a good way. It's touching something, hitting something. There's something deep within us that, that longs for home. The rub is, of course, that we live in a very transient culture, a very transient world. So we're somewhat stuck. We long for it, and yet we're swept up in this transience. We're, we're caught between poles, if you will, between a longing for stability and then just cast upon the waves of mobility. And so it creates something of this longing, this longing and this, this hunger. Then its own way, its own small way, this network seems to be tapping into. Well, all that said, we're going to think just a little bit more about this idea, theology of moving and place, and, and, and why is that something that perhaps we might want to be concerned about. Jeremiah 29 is where we're going here this, this morning. Uh, Jeremiah is one of the larger books there in the Old Testament. Uh, the Psalms are basically right there. If you're trying to find it there in your Bible, the Psalms are basically right the heart of the Bible, right there in the middle. You move to the right a few big books. You'll hit Isaiah and then Jeremiah, and Lamentations is by Jeremiah, but it's much shorter. And then you hit Ezekiel. Ezekiel's great, but we're not going there. We're in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29. Uh, it's a short passage. Uh, it's it's uh, the, the account of a, a letter that the prophet Jeremiah wrote to some exiles in a place called Babylon. We're going to talk about that here over the next little bit. But let's read the text first. Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of God. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, 
the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Let's pray together for a moment. Lord, you know us, you know our hearts, you know how we do and don't engage with our circumstances, the seasons of our lives, the literal and metaphorical places that we find ourselves, you know it all. We see this passage, it's curious, it is fascinating, it is interesting to eavesdrop on this correspondence between this prophet of old and these people scattered afar, but we need more than just to have our curiosity peaked or our um, inquisitive minds uh, informed. We need our hearts to be gripped. We need our minds to be changed. We need our lives to be changed in how we engage with our circumstances and the seasons in which we find ourselves. What is here that has what to do with us? We ask that you would give us, as we've already prayed earlier, eyes with which to see, ears with which to hear, hearts soft to your touch. Form us. Send us. In your name we pray these things. Amen. I want to put before you a composite picture. Ward and June. Ward and June are from any town USA. They've lived in Clarksville just a few months. They're having a rough go of it in terms of really feeling like they're settling in well. June, it seems that all that she can do is think about and talk about any town. Home where she comes from, where family is, her roots and all of that. Any opportunity that she gets, she doesn't talk about it, think about it. She wants to go back there. She's constantly on the phone with talking to old friends about old haunts and old, old things. Ward is not faring any better. Uh, Ward is really beginning to wonder if it's okay to raise children as Clark's villains. Uh, he is constantly complaining, saying that they really just can't find anything to do in this area. And oddly enough, not really so oddly enough, not only is neither one of them really 
settling in, they haven't found a single friend. That's the composite picture, Ward and June, from any town USA. Ah, for any town. Ah, for home. My family has lived here for 16 plus years. And I want to be very clear on the first thing I'm going to say, unless you mishear what I'm going to say after that. The welcome that we received upon our arrival was beautifully warm. The reception could not have been better. Okay? So don't, now that's, now I'm going to say the next thing. That said, moving is hard. It doesn't matter what kind of reception you have. It doesn't matter what kind of welcome you receive. Moving is hard. New places, new people. New sights, new sounds. New smells, new topography, new land, crazy weather. What is that? You know, that, that sort of thing. All this stuff that you have to get used to and accustomed to that in and of itself could be a beautiful, good, fantastic thing. But you know what? It's still new. It's unfamiliar. It doesn't feel like home. Moving is always hard. No few of you in this room have moved. Yeah, I hear you. You got the corner right over there. (laughs) And here's the thing. No few of us in this room will move again. So here's the question before the house. Does God have anything to say to such a seemingly mundane and ordinary thing and experience of moving? Do we have anything that we can glean from the Scriptures that would give us any insight, any idea as to how to engage with that uh, troubling experience? answer is yes. Yes. There's some fantastic, beautiful things to find here that'll anchor us and hold us well. God knows very well, he knows very well our struggle with moving. Ours is but to hear and heed what he has to say. He knows very well our struggle with moving. Ours is but to simply hear and heed what he has to say. And what we have here in just in in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29, and the whole of the scriptures, but Jeremiah 29 is where we're really landing here for this, uh, this morning, is a grid, a lens that he gives us in which to, to, to see and engage with this experience. And the first thing has to do with understanding our longing for home. I've alluded to that already. I want to go a little further with that in the next few minutes. Understanding our longing for home. Second, the call to love a place. And then thirdly, Almost, in, well, not almost, but completely in tension with that, leaving it all. Okay? So three L's. Longing, loving, leaving. Let's look at these three things in, in turn. See what we can find. First, longing for home. Here we have to go back to the beginning. The very, very beginning. I don't mean Jeremiah 29. I mean the beginning of everything. Genesis. The creation. The primordial mist out there over over Eden, okay? We have to go back to the very, very beginning. And as we go back, we've come to understand that part of our deep design, there is, you can see Adam and Eve walking in the garden pre-fall, Genesis 2. We see something of ourselves and how we were designed, how we were made, how we are hardwired for place, 
hardwired for some sense of permanence. It's part of the beauty of what you see there in the garden. Therein is why we find ourselves now searching for home. It's why we speak so warmly often of a homecoming and why homelessness anyone would recognize to be wrong. There's something amiss there for a person to be homeless. Well, then that takes us to the other part of going back to the beginning. Not Genesis 1, not Genesis 2, but not Genesis 3. Because what we see here is it's not our longing for home is created by two things. One, we were made for home, and at the same time, we have the reality of exile. Genesis 3, the fall, the curse pronounced upon humanity, was a real event in space and time. And just like any other real event in space and time, it has ripples into space and time. It has impact. It has effect. It has has consequences. And the first of those, I don't know if you ever thought about this, the first consequence of the fall was a U-Haul showing up. Adam and Eve moving. That's the first immediate consequence of the fall, of the curse, them being expelled from home. They are exiles now, refugees, rootless. That's where we see something of the tension that that every man, woman, and child has ever felt ever since. It's part of our deep design, where this longing comes from, our deep design, and at the same time, reality of exile, Babylon, okay? So we, now we, we talk about this letter and the con- historical context of it. Uh, 580, excuse me, 597 B.C., uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian army, sweeps into Jerusalem, takes it over, horrific period in Israel's history, Uh, They sweep in, take it over, and take away thousands of its people hundreds of miles away into Babylon. That's the background of of this letter. Jeremiah is the prophet. He's there in Jerusalem. He's writing to those people who've been taken away far, far from home. Their experience is traced back to that first exile in Genesis 3. What they are suffering, what they are experiencing is, that, is the, the uh, ripple effect of that original um, core expulsion from the garden, the homelessness and the feeling, the acute feeling of that. Okay, stop there. We were made for roots, but we are restless wanderers. That's why we have the longing for home. And it's really good just to know why we feel the way that we do. At least we can name it. We may not be able to fix it, but at least we can name it. At least we understand what's going on there, what's caused it, what's what's behind it, what's behind our longing. Why, can I just put it this way, why it hurts like hell. Milton, Paradise Lost. I'm going to be a little whimsical here. This is not in the classic work, okay? But it, it, it could have been. Add a chapter, Milton, where the souls condemned to hell, there's a new province there, a new region, and they're always having to move. They're always having to unpack and repack. You know, just when the last box is unpacked, 
And the last picture is hung on the wall. You hear on the intercom, attention, attention, time to go again. Moving may be part of our common experience. It may feel normal, but it's not natural. That's the point. It may be normal because it's just what we're used to, but that doesn't make it natural. Not at all. It's, it's rooted in the fall itself. The Lord, again, knows our struggles here with moving. Oh, but we would simply heed and hear what he has to say. That's the first thing. Where does this longing for home come from? The tension created for one thing but experiencing another. Okay, but that then takes us to the second point, and that has to do with loving a place. Let's go back to this letter. Let's look at just some of the words, some of what Jeremiah has to tell us here. Jeremiah 29, I'm going to look at verses 5 through 7. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. What is he saying? Two things basically. Multiply there and seek the welfare of the place. Multiply there. Sink your roots where it is that you have found yourself. Sink your roots. Build the houses. Plant the gardens. Give your, your daughters, your sons and daughters, uh, away in marriage. Why? Because places and customs and people matter. They, they matter. So sink your roots and don't hold back. Don't play it safe. And know, by the way, who put you there. That's some interesting insight that we can get in here if you just pay attention as a careful reader as to how did those exiles end up there? Well, there's some complexity to that answer, some layers to that answer. Verse 1, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. But that's not all you see in Jeremiah 29. Yeah, you've got Nebuchadnezzar over here at one level, but what do you see in verse 4? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, or the first part of verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. So you see what this means? Wherever you find yourself right now, yeah, your employer might have had something to do with it. The army might have had something to do with it. Or your spouse might have had something to do with it. Or kids, your parents might have had something to do with it. But you know who really had the all of everything to do with it? The Lord himself. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is a God of placement. He moves us. He moves us. He moves us. We need to know who's moving us. And when we're complaining about where we've been moved, well, it might help to consider who we're complaining about. The Lord himself. Multiply there and seek its welfare. Multiply there and seek its welfare. Verse 7, very explicit here, but shocking, certainly to that original audience. 
but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. That word welfare is the Hebrew word shalom, peace. Seek its welfare, pursue its peace. Chase after, give yourself to its well-being, its wholeness, its flourishing, for in that you will find your own. Why? Because it was the Lord's desire to place you there. This is his plan. This is his purpose. This is his desire for this place to be your home and those people to be your neighbors. Yes, the Babylonians and Clarksvillians around you are your neighbors. So pray for the place and pray for the people. It is your home. So pray for it. And notice, Jeremiah does not say pray just in Babylon, but pray for Babylon. It's rather striking here. This is your home. This is your home. Love that place. Love that place. It's a call to the exiles then. It is a call to disciples of Jesus now. Unpack the boxes and settle in. Explore and embrace the customs of the place. Eat and delight in the cuisine. Educate yourself. Learn something about the shops and shop there. Love those people. Seek the welfare, the shalom of that place. Pray for it. It's your place. It's where he's put you. Love it well. He knows, again, he knows all too well our struggle with moving. We need to hear and heed what he has to say about this. But that then takes us to this third and final point, because it's not just the realities of of the longing for home and the loving a place, but now we have some tension in the, the call to leave it all, leave it all behind. How do we think of ourselves? as those being moved, as movers, if you want to think of it in, that, in those terms. Two ways, very clear uh, here in the Scriptures. One is agents of the king, and the second is aliens in the land. Agents of the king. He came. Jesus was the one in the incarnation, taking on flesh as Emmanuel, God with us. This is the ultimate cross-cultural move. Think about it. The Son of God becoming the Son of Man, becoming like us in order to save us. And that one who came in that way for us also sends us. Listen to these striking words from uh, John chapter 20. John chapter 20, this is uh, in the midst of the accounts of uh, Jesus' post-resurrection conversations with his disciples, just John 20 verse 21 Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The one who came sends. He sends us into new places, just as he came into a new place himself. We are agents of the king. We are also aliens in the land. I think with that with the imagery of that, to be aliens in the land. Exiles, not just emissaries, not just ambassadors, but 
aliens and exiles. Barred, banished, expelled. It doesn't matter how long you've lived here. You are a non-native in this soil. An alien in the land. The implications of that are huge. It gives us insight into our identity. It gives us clarity as to our agenda. We are not to be just blending in and assimilating. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, we are to be salt and light, a city on a hill. Why? Because we are agents of the king and aliens in the land. So there's the tension, folks. On the one hand, you see the tension? You feel it? It's palpable. On the one hand, we're being told, make your home there. And on the other hand, we're saying, don't make your home there. You see the tension? It's a lot of tension, but there it is. Make your home there, but don't be at home there. There's the agenda. There's your identity. You are agents and aliens. You are you are strangers and pilgrims at home, but always on the move. What does that mean practically? What does this all mean practically? Let me just end with this very simply. Even as we are not to adapt the standards and the ethics of the place that we find ourselves, we are still nonetheless to embrace the people. Which has to mean opening our doors. And I don't just mean that metaphorically. I mean that literally. For no few of us, we have taken this idea of our homes as our castles a little too far. The walls are very high, they're impenetrably thick. The moat is filled with mines and gators and I don't know what else. And the drawbridge is locked really, really tight. Our calling is to make a home here and lower that bridge and welcome people in. That's at least partly what it means to live in the way that Jeremiah is calling those exiles to and that Jesus is calling his disciples to even now. Let me stop there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking into 